0: Is where we'll be this evening, Hebrews in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be going to a few other places in the scripture. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. For those who were not in the service here in the sanctuary this morning, tomorrow's podcast will publish at 7 and it is entitled, Answer the Call. It will encourage you some things about the callings on our life as a believer. 10 minutes and 33 seconds, it will go out at 7 o'clock. And so, made that early this morning. Fourth attempt, it happened. Say, why four attempts? Did you hear me say early this morning? Do you know what your voice can do when you're trying to record something early in the morning? You didn't want to hear those first three. It was kind of sounded rather uh, thick. We'll put it that way. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And uh, this evening I'm speaking on the subject of single verse soul winning. Um, Soul winning is a biblical term. It comes from a biblical term. The fruit of the righteous, says Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. It's not someone who converts souls. We certainly do not have that power. But we win souls. We win the soul that we may introduce them to the Savior. He does the converting. As the person comes to him in repentance and faith. Now, why this? verse here to begin with I want you to understand that the Bible is exactly as it's described in this verse it's quick I like that word so much better so many faults and flaws and NIV I would never recommend it I don't believe it's the preserved inspired preserved word of God but it is uh, passed off a very popular so-called translation well it is a translation but uh, of the Bible and uh, that particular verse says lively and active. The word of God's lively and active. I often say to you, you want lively and active, go to our nursery. It's lively and active, that's for sure. Um, but quick, that word quick, when you follow it through the Bible, it has to do with resurrection power. And uh, the quickening spirit, the resurrection power. And the Word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe in using Bible in my preaching, and my witnessing and such. But I'm glad to know that the Word of God is so powerful that if all I have time and all the opportunity has, or maybe even it just the opportunity points itself to the direction that I should stay on one verse and deal with it, there are many places, certainly tonight will not be exhaustive, and consequently you shouldn't be exhausted, amen, but it will not be exhaustive of all the single verses we could use. But what I'm trying to do tonight by the Word of God is help you understand that you don't need to be an accomplished Bible scholar in order to be an effective witness. In fact, I have known some actual Bible scholars who were not effective witnesses. Uh, In fact, they're they're much learning God in their way. Now, it need not be that way, but sometimes it is. And so uh, the Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword by way of illustration let me start out by giving you an account of what I think is one of the more remarkable single verse conversions that I've ever heard of or read about and uh, now what went before it we don't know the person I'm going to tell you about that uh, that accepted the Lord um, I don't know maybe maybe there was someone praying Maybe there was exposure to the Scripture before. I don't know that. And by the way, you don't know that when you're dealing with somebody. You don't know what's already there. But this happened in the ministry of Charles Spurgeon. I mention him often. And uh, in England, there, was a, uh, there had been a, what they called the mutiny crisis. There was a mutiny in India, which is uh, part of the British, uh, the British Empire. There had been quite an uprising and a loss, a great loss of life. The queen called for a day of humiliation. That was what it was called. Um, I want to say it was 1867. I may be off on that. It was in that time period. A.N. to September 2nd, I think. But, the, uh, um, but that day of humiliation that was called for. The queen called for it and said basically, and emphatically really, to the nation that we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek God. In other words, the sovereign of of England said we need to recognize God in this and see what we're supposed to learn. There were all sorts of events going on for that day and, and different things in churches and prayer times and certain solemn activities and such. This is England in the 1800s. The Church of England is the official state church. In fact, when Spurgeon and his people built what was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the reason why they had to call it that was because it was illegal to call a building or put the name church on any building that was not the the official Church of England. It was illegal to do it at that point in time. And so all through England and all these things going on, the largest gathering is going to be at a place called the Crystal Palace. You want to look something up sometime. Please don't do it while I'm preaching. Um, Jesus can see you Google, and he's not very glad. All right, now, So pay attention to what's going on in the message. But if you look up the Crystal Palace, you'll find a structure that encompasses several acres. Acres? acres. That's the British way of having acres. And... <laughs> Hey girls. May, April may, June, July um, <laughs> it encompassed several acres, and as you might guess from the name, it was it was built out of glass. There was a fountain uh, that weighed four and a half tons. It was cut out of cut crystal and had the water flowing in it and such magnificent place, and the largest single assembly area in the. Uh, England at the time and uh, there was someone asked with all this going on and ordered by the queen and who was chosen to address the largest crowd that day was a 23 year old pastor by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What's an interesting side note on the thing is when he and his then his wife Suzanne when they were courting one of the places they had gone was the Crystal Palace. And when when he had first expressed his love, verbally expressed his love to what would soon be his future wife there, or soon would be his present wife, she was his future wife at that time. Um, When he expressed love towards her, it was actually there at the Crystal Palace. This was so, so much involved in it that after he preached there on a Wednesday, he was so exhausted when he went to bed Wednesday night, he didn't wake up until Friday morning with all that led up to it and the strain of the moment and what was going on. the return style so they know the size of the crowd. It wasn't an estimation. And he spoke without any, any uh, microphone, any type of help. He spoke to 23,647 people in that type of setting. was heard clearly. The text he chose was, Behold the rod, and heed who beareth it. And he preached about why God would bring judgment on a nation and how they needed to turn to God. He dealt with everything from the prostitution and the drunkenness in London to the coldness of the clergy and the lack of the gospel in the churches. And uh, he wasn't an Anglican priest. He, He got up and preached. Tremendous day. Prior to that, two days before this was going to happen and before they built the pulpit, because the pulpit, we think of it just as like this piece of furniture, but it would that would be a description of the area around it as well. And uh, they actually uh, moved the one in and built, well, they built one after the order of the one of the New Park Street Chapel where he was used to preaching. But on two days before he was going to be speaking in there, He went in with a group of people, a small group, just to hear the acoustics of the place. This is a wise move. Often if if I'm preaching somewhere new or especially if it's, you know, you're speaking at a banquet or something like that, I go into the room, look at it. it. I do it at funerals and that sort of thing, see what they have set up, see if I'm going to have to totally rearrange what they have set up and that sort of thing. And I've customized many a place I go into because I'm there to speak and be heard and have it work well. And sometimes people's idea of how to put a crowd together for hearing is really bad. Um, and so Spurgeon, he went in there to hear the acoustics and hear what the what the place sounded like. He didn't want to be surprised by that. And so he went in there to the place where the, his pulpit would be sitting, and he quoted one verse. He quoted this, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Two galleries over, unknown to any in the party that Spurgeon was with, two galleries over, there was a workman working on something, making some preparations. He clearly heard that. He had no idea there were people in there. And he clearly heard this voice and Spurgeon's voice was supposed to be a beautiful voice. It had a melodic quality to it, and it would carry over a crowd that size without it being forced or strained. That's truly a gift of God. There's been a few men down through history, George Whitfield was one, who said that you could clearly hear his annunciation at a half mile. That's startling. And uh, Spurgeon, he, he quoted that, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that workman fell under such conviction from hearing that scripture, and it tended to him with such power that he put his work tools aside, and he went home, and later that night was converted to Christ. He told the story some years later, and of course, Spurgeon was unaware of it. What was that? That was the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And uh, something you may casually say may be a lifeline to someone who doesn't know the Scripture. Something you may casually give to someone in the way of help may be a blessing to someone that you can't imagine. Tonight I want to give you some examples of some Scriptures, single Scriptures, that can easily be used in dealing with people regarding their soul. Each of them contain all elements, or they point to all the elements that 1 Corinthians 15 defines as the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is clearly defined in the scripture as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, we'll use the term of the gospel message also dealing with other doctrines of the Bible and the things that attend to Christian living, but purely speaking, the gospel... Is, to, is, the, is the good news, it is the, it is the uh, news that Christ died in our place, that He was buried, and that He rose again with victory over death and over hell and over our sin. That's the gospel. On that, everything else hinges. On that, everything else is built. Let me give you some. The first would be one that you might expect. And if I were to ask you and say, what would be one good verse? You could turn somebody to if you were going to talk to them about their soul. You might well think of this one, and that's John 3.16. Let's look at that, please. Say, oh, I can quote it. I don't need to look at it. Oh, yeah. Let's look at it. Get it in through your eye gate and your ear gate. And also, as a church, we work together in cooperation to have the Lord work among us and help grow us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The verses before and after, of course, attend to that same truth and give extra weight and emphasis to it. But just that one verse, that's one many people have memorized. That's one that's easily accessible in many people's minds. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what is that? Uh, Because God, God loved the world. He loved the whole world. Not just part of the world, but the whole world. Your brother actually let you go? That's impressive. <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> appreciate that. Um, he loved the entire world. You're talking to somebody, you say, here's God's intention. <clears throat> Driven by love that God possesses for a world that was broken, He loves the entire world. How much did He love the world? Well, He loved the world to such a degree and with such emphasis that he gave His only begotten Son. Do you see how you can talk to somebody about this? Well, why do He have to give His Son? Well, because the world's a needy and broken place. Why did His Son have to be given? Was He just given to set a good example? No, not at all. There have been many good examples. He was given actually as a substitute, as a sacrifice. Why? Because there's a real thing among mankind. that's called sin. God's law and God's moral law is a real thing. Breaking that moral law is a real thing, and it's called sin. Something has to be done with that transgression. And so God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What is this, and why the word only begotten? I'm glad my Bible doesn't just say His one and only Son. First, that would be contradictory to some other verses. For instance, uh, uh, for now we are the sons of God, yet it doth not appear what we shall be. But when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, now, if it was the one and only son, again, the NIV puts it out that way, if, if, if he was one and only son, then that would be a contradiction. But that term, only begotten, is a vital, vital term. It, 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 it springs from a word called monogenes of the same genetic composition. He is the Father. That's why Jesus said to Philip, Have I been so long time with you, Philip? And hast thou not known me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Why? God had robed himself in flesh. It was the only way that mankind could stand to have the the Creator interact with him. And so God came to man in the design and in the way that man could communicate with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever... Anybody want to take a stab at what that means? whosoever i tell i I make the statement i'm whosoever man when it comes to salvation you say you are many and you calvinists i'm whosoever and uh, what does that mean that means anyone uh, anyone that can can receive the gospel that can hear the gospel that whosoever believeth in him on him should not what perish we're not doing that oh this body dies but we don't perish you say, oh, we live on in people's memories. Well, that'll, that'll go away too at some point. Amen. That's not what it is. We shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Why do we have it? Because we believe. We believe on Him. And that belief is counted to righteousness. We're doing See, John 3.16 is easy with it. Let me show you. Some others that may not be just as familiar to you, look in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, the Word of God's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So that means that any part of it has great power if we'll use it. Funny, excuse me, I struggled just a little. I left my briefcase and resultantly my Bible sitting at my house. And... uh, I have this. This is actually a Bible that uh, Brother Fielder gave me years ago. And not all the pages are separated down. I've never used it as a study Bible or anything. It's on active reserve waiting for when I need to replace one that falls apart. And uh, I, I'm going to get to 1 Peter 3, one way or another. This is worse than trying to open a trash bag. <laughs> Got it. First Peter 3. I love it. That's not what I want at all. After all that word. should be Second Peter then. That's why I always do myself. That's not it either. Hold on. I'll find it. I know what it says. I'll quote it to you. That's the beauty of these. Then you can find it because I can't roam around enough to find it. I copied, I copied it over wrong. Christ hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. We put the death in the Spirit, in the flesh, and raised in the Spirit. That's the verse. What is it? 3.18. that's what I did wrong Wow three's open thank you there we go got it I wrote I wrote down another way 1 Peter three three great great verse but not what I need for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for unjust that he might bring us to God be having being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit you see you're tied into with that word quickened again there. Now, when you look at this, if you're explaining this and if we're understanding it, we say, well, Christ hath once suffered. Well, who's Christ? That's Jesus. Now, you can't be too clear with people today because things are very murky and there's a great lack of Bible knowledge in our society. And we would understand that Christ is Jesus. But I have been talking to people and said, now, Christ, that's talking about Jesus. Oh, okay, that's who that is. They, they don't understand the connection of that. Some people don't. Many do, but some don't. And so we say Christ, that's Jesus there. We're talking about Christ, Jesus. For Christ hath once suffered for sins. Now, hold on a minute. I used to ask a question here. I don't anymore because the understanding level has dropped so precipitously in our, in our, in our uh, general population. Uh, I used to ask people, and I'm talking going back a good number of years on this, I'd say, now did Jesus ever sin? Well, that was so known that no, he did not. People understood he was sinless, the son of God. You ask that question now, I don't know, maybe, I guess so. Those are the kind of answers you get. So I'm not going to lead myself into somebody's quagmire um, with that. And so when I'm talking to him, I'll say, here's here's an amazing thing about Jesus is the fact he never sinned. Now, whether you could quote verses about that or not, When you make that statement, you're making a statement that has biblical authority behind it. This is something I want you to get to understand. When you are factually making a statement that has biblical authority behind it, then that statement will have authority behind it. You can say it with authority. Yeah, and, and by the way, authority isn't arrogance or vehemence or that sort of thing. It's just a, uh, this, this is the way it is. Uh, you're, you're declaring something. That's the biblical word for what we do. We declare the gospel. We declare it. And declaration is giving a clear accounting of it. Uh, not equivocating, or I think, or maybe, it's here it is. And, uh, and so you may not be able to quote the verses. For instance, I may, I may quote a verse with that. And I may say, the Bible says, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He was in all points tempted like as we are. And uh, yet without sin. The Bible teaches about this. And, and uh, I may quote a couple of verses. But if you don't know those verses, you're not limited by, by that because you can say Christ hath once suffered for sins. It could be something this simple. It's an amazing thing. Here's a man who lived sinlessly. You realize at one time there were just groups of people who were a cross. Now check out this cross. They were a cross between civil leaders, call it politicians, and religious leaders. They were religious leaders who owed their position in the civil world to the religious standing. Now you imagine what that crowd could end up being like. I mean, you're taking the worst of both worlds and putting them all into one unit at that point. And they followed Jesus around just trying to find him messing up in one thing. They brought lawyers to him who were skilled at trapping people in their words and they tried to catch him in his words and tried to trip him up time after time. And guess what they were never able to do? In fact, when they came down to crucifying. him, it took him a long time to even get two people to agree on the same lie about him. And so he lived so purely, there was never a question about that. And, and, and so the Bible says here, for Christ hath once suffered for sins. Now, here's how I would ask the thing. Hold on a minute. When Jesus didn't suffer for his sins, whose sins was he suffering for? I might ask that to you as a group. Whose sins was he suffering for? Ours. Okay? Sometimes people say, well, everybody else's, I guess. Or maybe the world's. Or they might say, I don't know. And, uh, and then, but if they say, well, everybody's or the world's, uh, that's a common answer. I'll say, that's true. But did he suffer for yours? Right. Right. So you bring this down. You go from talking to, to bring it down. Amen. Did he suffer for yours? Now, sin is the breaking of God's law. There's punishment on it. The wages of sin is death. Wait a minute. He once suffered for sins. Hold on. It goes further to explain it. The just. Simple way of understanding the word in it's most simple and broad term. The just means he's uh, completely right, uh, holy, has integrity in all his doings. The just for the unjust. Well, obviously the just one right there, you look at it and I'd be showing somebody this in my New Testament if I had it open with me. If not, I'd be talking to them about it. The just, So the just one is the one that's without sin. Who did we learn that is? Who's the just one? Talk to me. It's Jesus, okay? It's Christ, Jesus, okay? The just for the unjust. Guess who the unjust are? That's us, isn't it? So let's think about this. He'd suffered once for us. Why? What was His purpose in this? That He, Jesus, might bring us to God. Why is He bringing us to God? Because we can't get there on our own. Do you see? All the elements are there. You can refer to the resurrection. And it will talk about it here plainly. But you can talk about this sort of thing. He brought us to God. Why? We couldn't get there on our own. So the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. And it goes further. Hey, he was being put to death in the flesh. That was the crucifixion. Anybody here could talk a little bit about the crucifixion and a little bit about what Christ went through on that. You know enough about that. And, and, and being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. I've told you here before. The lesson I learned when I was preaching at Star of Hope Intercity Mission in Houston. A rather large inner city Mission. And I preached down there one day and it was a full crowd. Now if you don't know what a city mission is, they would have open for the homeless and such. And people out on the street. They would bring them in. It was cold. There were a lot of people. It was like 49 degrees. They thought they were freezing to death in Houston. It's a subtropical climate. It's directly over from Miami, Florida. And so they thought they were having a serious cold wave down there. And and so it was full. And I preached and preached about Christ and preached about His atonement and such things. And people come in and they have to be part of the gospel service before mealtime and everything with that. You say, well, a bunch of them are just listening because they have to. That's true enough, but it affects still a lot of them when you give them the Word of God. I've always thought in those situations, even as a very young man, I I began the practice and, and have done it anywhere. I've preached in that type of situation where I t- take time to meet some of the people ahead of time and be among them and such because uh, they almost feel forced to be a part of it. Now, nobody forced them to come in, but, you know, they're trading off. They came in for hot soup and they're getting a preacher, you know? And, and so I uh, try tried, tried to let them know that I appreciate uh, the fact that I get to speak to them, treat them with some dignity. You'd be amazed how much people, no matter how degraded they may have become by sometimes their own choices in their own life even, but you'd be amazed how much, Better you have an opportunity to do some good for them if you treat them with the dignity as if they're they are another human being and, and approach it that way. And so I still remember getting up preaching and a lot of people came to the altar, a lot of people being dealt with, and I went down to talk to some of them. And this one fellow was down there, and he seemed a bit unaware of himself and life in general. Honestly, he was not. Uh, I I don't think he was completely stoned out or anything, but he just you know was not completely all together. He did not at all recognize I was just the person who had been preaching. And, uh, and so he didn't get that. And I was talking to him. And I said, sir, why would you come? I said, would you, would you like to receive Christ? He said, what do you mean receive Christ? He said, I don't believe on him. Here's what he said. He said, he's dead. The preacher just said so. Mm-hmm. What I'd done, I'd preached to death without the resurrection. I can't stand before you these many, many years later and say, I've never done that again. But I will tell you, I have set a course to consciously not do it either in my witnessing or my preaching. For every time I mention his death, I'm going to preach his resurrection. And, and that why? Because that's the Bible message. It can, it's, a, it's a continuous. Let's look again at the verse here. Uh, it says that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. Now I want to draw attention to another thing. I'm talking to you about this. I'm giving, giving you the bare bones of this. You can see how you could just talk to somebody. Learn to just talk to somebody. Listen to them, talk to them about these things. In verse 18, though, notice what it says, "For Christ also hath how many times suffered for sins? Once. It's a great point, point. one time. What Jesus did took care of it. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, "It is finished." He didn't say, "I am finished." what was finished was he 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 fulfilled all that needed done. It is finished. He, one time, once for all, we sing that great song here. And uh, why? Because one time, and you talk to people about the finished work of Calvary, you see how that verse would work. How about this one? And I believe I have the right one with this. We'll find out if not, you're really good at helping me. John chapter one, I appreciate all my associate past uh, preachers here in the in the congregation that helped me find where I'm going. John chapter 1. It's a conspiracy. Everyone I need is stuck together. There it is. John chapter 1. Verse 12. But as many as received him, To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Now, I talk to people about this, and I say, look, you can't become what you already are. And so, since somebody can become the sons of God, then that means they were not the sons of God before that. They were creation of God, but didn't have the father-son relationship. This is tied in when Jesus said you must be born again. And uh, it says, but as many. Okay? Now, the only limitation is the response. I'll tell you what I mean by that. It didn't say, but to the elect few. The limitation is the response, as received him. But as many as received him. The hymn there is Jesus Christ. So this would be a whosoever deal. As many as received him. So any person that will receive Christ. But as many as received him. This, the backdrop on this, it came to his own and his own received him. No. But as many as received him. So those who actually received him. What's it mean to receive someone? You welcome them in, don't you? You say you're invited in. You open the door to him. That'd be a good biblical illustration, wouldn't it? You see what I'm saying? You Just think think about this. Think about these verses. But as many as received him, to them, who's the them there? Those that received him. So as many as received him, to them, those that received him, gave he power. Who gave him power? God gave him power. Christ did. Gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them That believe on his name. And then from this you can talk to him about what that means. And the fact you believe on his name. Believe that he gave himself for you. Believe on his name and believe that the testimony of him being resurrected and all this. You see, what I said to you at the beginning was these verses either contain all the elements of the gospel as the Bible defines the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection. Or... They point to those elements and they give you the springboard, biblical springboard, to make these things clear to somebody. What we're talking about is taking something that the Bible says is quick and powerful. And we talk to people and deal with them precisely and individually about their soul from the scripture itself. And here somebody is and they say, well, I don't know. Well, you know, we're all children of God. Well, we're all the we're all the uh, offspring in the sense of Him as the Creator, but uh, to be, actually become a child of God, be part of God's family, to be a partaker of the divine nature, requires us to believe on Him. And at that point, that's what the conversion is about. With that, let me give you another one, if you would. Um, not only have you got these, but also uh, if you would turn over to First John, chapter five, back towards Revelation, First John chapter five. And as I told you, at the beginning. It's by no means a collection of all the single verses you can use. And technically, what I'm going to show you is not just a single verse, although each of the two verses I'm going to show you has the power to stand alone with it, but together, what a combination they are. Let's look in 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12. And by the way, you'll find around each of these passages I've given you, the verses supporting them before and after just emphasize and give even further strength to what you're saying. So if someone's talking to you in detail right around these verses I've given you, um, they, it magnifies and it corroborates everything I'm teaching you about these verses. In other words, we're not lifting a verse out of its context and trying to make it make something we've predetermined. It's the natural way they're put into the Bible. And, but we're just what we're doing is we're, we're looking at opportunities where we don't have very long to talk to somebody do you know it's kind of a funny thing I, I'll give you this example and I'll give you a statement and an example of it sometimes people will listen to you longer if they think they, they're not going to be listening to you very long that's, true. that's, right. that's why brother Jenkins says now I'm closing now about 18 times right? <laughs> but uh, you say just just a few minutes now give you an example of what I mean by this. Um, there's been, man, I don't know how many people I've started to talk to and witness to, and they're like, well, I'm not really interested in that. Don't really want to talk about religion. You know, something like that. And I'm talking about somebody, they're not being huffy. They're just, they don't know me, and you know they, they owe me nothing to speak to me or something like that. But they're just, no, I'm not really interested. And more than one person, if I've had New Testament out or I'm talking to them, if I have that, I'll close it. I'm going to open it again after a bit, but I'll close it. And I'll say, All right. And then I'll say, I'll tell you what, man, you know what that's like? And I'll start giving them my testimony. And I'll talk to them and I'll let them visit with me and we'll head back to that hayfield where I heard the gospel. I'll let them, I'll go back to my reluctance towards the gospel at first. And I'll talk to them. And they'll there and let me talk to them in detail, minute after minute after minute. They'll even interact with me about it. We'll talk about things. And the whole time, I'm putting in all the verses, I'm giving them everything I would have given them. Why? What it is? They, just, they felt something was threatening. They thought it was going to turn into an argument. They've had people, you know, trying to be pushy about, and they don't want that. And so I've just stepped back because there's many a person they don't want that, and can't blame them for not wanting that. But but what they do want, they want to hear some truth. And even if they're not going to agree with you at that moment, or maybe they don't even uh, 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 accept what you're saying, they're at least willing to hear it out. They're at least willing to hear it. They want not say, okay, what's this about? And then if you are talking to them and you are giving them Scripture, they can see that you're not being flighty. It's not something way out there. Uh, then it, it's something solid and, and something right. Then you can have an opportunity to talk to them. That's why the single verse sword is. The goal is not to... Make it as short as possible, but the goal is realizing. There's some people say, "Hey, uh, let me let me just take and just show you a verse here that'll be uh, that, that'll be help to you today." Um, I had somebody today told me that what they've been saying to f- some folks with the uh, blessed promises. They said, "You know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hurting going on in the world today, and here's something, whatever may be scary or hurting or a question." this will have answers you can find in it. And they've been doing that and, and people have been receiving uh, the less promises from them. I thought that was a pretty good approach to it. So let's look at these passages. 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the record. Now, what this means is this is like something being put on record in a, in a legal sense. In other words, this is given as a permanent record of what God said. So God's put something there that we can go back to and look and say, what, what was this? For this is the record that God... Hath given to us eternal life. That's interesting. Everybody we know, there's a birth date and there's a death date, isn't there? You get that thing. Here's when they were born, here's when they died. Why? That's common to all mankind. There's only been two people that walked this earth that didn't face death. One was Enoch. He was translated, wasn't he? John the Baptist uh, got taken up to heaven. We have those two who didn't face death, but I believe they'll be the two witnesses in Revelation. You might disagree with that if you want to, but I think they're going to face it. Who is, I think, John, you were mentioning to me this morning when we were finishing John and, and talking about how you all had noticed that the, they were going to plotting not only to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Uh, was that you talking to me about that this morning? And uh, uh, they wanted to kill him again. Because a lot of people had believed on Jesus because of Lazarus. So when you're reading there towards the end of John, that we just finished up John there, uh, that they were going they were going to kill Lazarus also. Because they were at dinner and they weren't at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house at that dinner. They were at Simon the Leopard's house. And uh, they were all sitting at the table together, and the, the Jews had plotted to kill Lazarus because he had been a reason why so many people had believed on Jesus. And that's kind of how you go, I just I wonder how encouraging it could be. He's already dead once. How sure can you be of success about this? You know, Um, but anyway, they ended up not killing him and all that. But um, as as we're looking at this and you're talking to somebody, it it says there. It says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. Think about it. I mean, it seems almost far fetched to us now, but you think about uh, people exploring, especially in Florida, they were looking for the Fountain of Youth. Remember that? You know, there's a Ponce de Leon went there. Went there. Looking for these things? Maybe that's why all the old people go to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a revelation, man. They're still looking for that thing. By the way, do you really want to do all that again? <laughs> 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 um, just, uh, no. Um, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And there's something in the human heart that longs for that, don't we? Um and this life is in his son. Well, you can talk to people about who his son is. Talk to them about the fact that the life is actually in Christ. Because, see, what you're talking to somebody, they say, well, you can clearly present somebody the gospel and never have mentioned the church. I don't mind mentioning church and that sort of thing, but never mention it. I've done this and, and just go along, but just get witness into him right away and a good opportunity for it you are giving them the gospel and they may ask, they say, well, I might, uh, what church you go to? And I tell them, and, uh, well, I might come out there and visit church sometime. But you weren't talking to them about visiting church. You were talking to them about the eternal life. Now, it's fine if they visit. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to uh, getting people to visit church. And that's a good way, place we're near the gospel. But we're supposed to be taking the gospel to them. But people, see, they equate this. Okay, I'll be in church. That's what not the, not the man's talking about. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll try to do better. They equate it almost like um, a New Year's resolution, that sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about. And so this verse explains it. This is the record God's given to us eternal life. Where is it? It's in His Son. Just like Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. We're not talking to them about adopting a religion. We're talking to them about the person of Jesus Christ. Illustration I've shown you, and, and uh, yet it bears repeating. Um, I will usually I have something on me. I can use something if I'll have a gospel track. Maybe I don't have a Bible with me. Usually I'll have something in my pocket. I mean, you could use almost anything. You could look at the illustration. I'm going to use the illustration in the Bible in a moment. But I could take uh, my my prayer request I'm praying for this week, and uh, I could take a gospel track and illustrate with this. I could use you know various things. I could uh, ask them if they have a twenty and a five, and hope they forget that by the end of the no. Don't do that. But uh, I could. There's a lot of different things I could use. But for purpose, what I do if I have my New Testament now, it's funny. I'm not this Bible's a lot heavier than the one I use. Um, I'm, not, I'm not getting tired. It just feels funny. I almost dropped it because it let it slide. But I would use these these little markers, these little ribbons, and I'll say, okay, let's look at the verse here. Let's look what it says, if you will. It says in 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. Let's, let's let this illustrate eternal life. All right? So what does that illustrate? Eternal life. Eternal life. Uh, you say, oh, preacher, sure I've heard you do this before. Have you used it? This illustrates what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Okay, there we go. And uh, we have that there. Now let's see what the Bible says. And, and I'll tell people, forgive. I know the illustration is... is you know, very, very, uh, uh, very weak compared to the truth. But I want to, I want to think about it. This is a record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Well, let's let the Bible rec- represent Jesus, the Son of God. So this represents what eternal life, eternal life. and this represents who Jesus. Jesus. Okay. And so I need a volunteer to help me out here. Wes, thank you. Come on up. <clears throat> Looking for a volunteer. And so I'll be talking to the person, Wesley here, and I'll say, okay, so uh, Wesley, we've been talking. So what's that represent? Eternal life. eternal life. Talk loudly enough, people can hear you. What's that represent? Eternal life. There you go. And uh, this this represents who? Jesus. Now let's look at the verse. You see how it says right here? This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. This life is in His Son. Okay? Now, if you... Receive Jesus. Ask him to be your Savior. And we'll represent that by you taking him. Guess what is in Christ? Eternal life. eternal life. It's not that you somehow get, hold on to that, get eternal life and Jesus comes along. No, when you accept Christ, at that point, you have eternal life because it's in him. By receiving Christ, we're saying, will you believe the record that God gave of his son? Will you agree with God that Christ actually came to this world? That he actually was crucified for you because you've sinned? That he rose and that he's paid your price for sin? Will you receive that? See, that's how personal it gets. And so what happens is this one verse, you can show this thing. Now you understand. You're in a position here where someone's just talking. You don't open the door and say, look, buddy, take hold of it. Okay? Let's have some wisdom. This is is where someone's opening their self up. They're they're talking to you. In other words, what you have before you at that point is evidence that the Spirit of God's working on them, and you're not just going in there trying to push or be a salesman, but you're going in accordance uh, as far as you can go with the Gospel to someone who is wanting to hear. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it much. And so you could illustrate that way. And then look at the second verse. He that hath the Son of God hath life. I'm sorry, Wesley, wasn't done with you yet. Come on back up. <laughs> and here we go. He that hath the Son of God hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And you understand that one verse can do it also. But if I say, okay, further, Wesley, you have this. Let's say if you have Jesus, guess what else you have? Okay, now, if Jesus is offered and you don't receive it, just leave your hands down there. Don't accept it. It's offered, right? Are you forced to do it? No, God doesn't even do that. You have the choice, don't you? But it's being offered. But if you refuse, guess what else you do not have? Eternal life. Because the two come together. Do we see how this works? All right and then we do this time. Thanks, Bud. Now watch this. That verse, verse twelve. I entered into. I went into a uh, a, a print place once and we're uh, working on a banner that we were doing for something, and uh, I went into this place and there was a, an argument of sorts going on when I went in, and. Uh, I was I was there, I was going to pick something up, and I walked in, and um, the person running the place knew who I was. The, the people who were kind of debating something uh, about the Bible didn't know uh, anything, or didn't know I was a pastor or anything. And uh, I went in, and so I would just stand back. I wasn't jumping into it, and uh, nobody was asking my opinion about it at that point. And and they were talking, and and. Uh, about this or that and I forget what all the nature of the conversation was but I do remember this because it's where this verse came in they said well so many things in the Bible you can interpret so many different ways and they were chasing that dog you know they're just going down that trail that's the, that's one of those great smoke screens for uh, you can't really be what that's really a smoke screen for is saying well you can't be held accountable it's kind of a neat way using that word advisedly to blame God for your own unbelief kind of remind me what we read some chapters ago if thou be the Christ tell us plainly how long dost thou make us to doubt we read that in John where they said to Jesus you're making us doubt and that's something and so it's along that line and so I was I was there and and uh they said, oh, there's so much interpretation and this and that. And the fellow that was there said, hey, pastor, we've got your thing done. And uh, there's two ladies. They turned and looked at me and said, are you a pastor? I said, yes. And one of them said, uh, well, what do you think about what we were saying? I thought a lot of things about it, but what I said to them, I quoted verse 12. I said, well, let me give you a verse. And they said, all right. I said, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I said, how can you put a spinner interpretation on that? And I remember they both got quiet. And they're like, well, there's really not anything else that could say. I said, exactly. And uh, anyway, they didn't keep discussing things. But the point wasn't to make them be quiet. That was an added benefit. But the point, that wasn't the point... The point was to interject truth into what they may have been fussing about it and going about it in a little bit of an odd way, but who knows it if there wasn't some real truth or searching involved in there. And the best thing that I had opportunity to do as a child of God is put truth into there by way of the Scripture, of course. So many of these things, and here's the thing about it. You see the pattern of what we're looking at in here? Now, these verses are certainly excellent verses for doing this. But in your readings, and as we're going through the Bible, and you're taking time to read slowly through the Bible, we're enjoying these reading programs together, um, as you're going through, it may be that God will show you something that uh, you use quite a bit. Uh, when, uh, Hebrews 2 is where I think it is. If not, again, it me I didn't have this written down, but let me show you one that, that's like that with me. This was one I noticed in the, um, in the usage thereof. I managed to bury Hebrews too. That's too funny. Stuck together. Oh, come on. Wife, I should have had you up here helping me with this tonight because you, you can always get these things. All right. Now, I'll have to find the verse here for just a moment. Again, I know what it says. I hadn't planned on giving you this, but I want to show you. Two. Mm-hmm. That's my whole music. Because usually I'm just quoting; and it comes to my mind, but not the the place of almost positive it's in Hebrews two. In fact, I'm sure it is, unless it isn't. In verse 9, you have him, tasting death for every man. There it is. Uh, nope, that's not it. That's we're going the other uh, one I use. Verses 14 and 15 are, are two I use also. What the scripture says is for when he had by himself purged our sins, he is set down on the right hand. The Majesty, I believe it's Majesty on High. Find that it's either one, two, or a different one. When he had by himself purged us of his of our sins. One, three, one, three. One, three. One, three, one, three, one, three. Sounds like something in the Navy there. Thank you. Chapter one, there it is. Well, two of my favorite ones are there in two, so that was good. I enjoyed that. Got a little devotional in while I was finding them. Um, We'll begin in verse one. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. Who, being the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. And what I do with that, um, because usually I'm quoting it, but the when I, or if I turn somebody to that, perhaps I get them to help me, um, but when, when I show somebody that truth, the question I ask is, was, who was on the cross with Christ? And usually, it's funny, you ask that question. People are always answering questions you're not asking. It's, they don't hear what you ask. And uh, I say, who was on the cross with Christ? Well, there were two thieves crucified. No, no, no. They weren't on the cross with him. They were on the hill and they were on their own crosses. Who was actually physically on the same cross as Christ? And they'll stop, and you understand you'd be talking more to a religious person when you're with this. Well, nobody. I, I've spoken to many a Catholic person in our town with this, when they would get down to the minutiae of things, and I'm trying to make them understand. Because later on, we'll make real clear statements to them, such as your church has no saving power, nor does mine. The priest has no power to forgive sin, even as I don't as a pastor the Eucharist you take has no redeeming power. See, and those are strong statements. You've got to understand something. Saying that you know you're going to go to heaven someday is, by Catholic doctrine, that's a sin of presumption. And the reason why is because they have a works form of salvation. So someone saying that they know they're going to heaven is someone saying, I've been good enough, I've done enough good. They understand it in the context of scriptural context that I'm saying because of the unmerited favor of Christ and His goodness, I can be sure because He is sure. And so what happens with this when I'll talk to him, and this jars them at times, I'll say, who was there on the cross with Christ? No one. Was Mary on the cross? No, she was at the foot of the cross. And I'm not attacking somebody. It's a mistake to attack somebody's religion. But it is proper to biblically expose falsehood. There's a difference, even a difference in the spirit and the way you go about it. And so I say, is Mary on that cross? Well, no, she wasn't. Where was she? She was, she was down below the foot of the cross. She was down there. With the crowd. I'll say to him often, leaning in, Well, I'm, you know, in my case I'm talking to, I'm a Baptist preacher, I say, was the Baptist church on that cross? Well, no. Was your Catholic church on that cross? No. Was your priest on that cross? No. Were any of the saints on that cross? No. Who was on the cross? It was Jesus. Jesus only? Yes. When he had by himself purged our sin, they understand the word purge. So only the one that was on that cross is the only one that conferred sin. And so you see how you're taking single verses and you're, you're taking them with power to deal with people. And it opens the door and points the way for further discussion, further talking to him about what went on there. Say, so he's by himself. Uh, guess who went into the tomb with Christ? Nobody. Guess who came out of the tomb? He, that day he arose. Don't, some of you theologians get, don't get overly technical with me on that. When you're talking to somebody, he arose and he bodily came out of that grave. Uh, what, what is he talking about? Uh, he did it by himself. See, the whole thing we're trying to do is we're trying to make clear and through the Word of God and through a clear, simple presentation of the Word of God to lift Christ up. We're the soul winners. We're trying to be kind to people. Treat people decently and courteously, so that we represent the Lord well. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. That's Bible uh, there with that. The Bible says, "I beg you, in Christ's stead, that you be that you be uh, reconciled to Christ." That's the way we're supposed to do. And so we go out. The soul, the soul interacts with the soul with the other person you win the soul you tell them about the savior you lift him up by telling who he is you lift him up by telling what he did you lift him up by telling all of his accomplishment and then that person is brought to the, to the, the the place of biblically seeing who Christ is and then they can believe and be converted with that see we just we bring them there and then he brings them to God that's that's how it works and these single verses listen uh, it's amazing how self-limiting many believers are. You say, I don't speak well. I get nervous. I don't know how to start a conversation. You know, all of these things may be things that are hurdles for you. They're real. I don't know. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Let me set your mind at ease. Unless you're harsh and rude to people, Someone may get upset just because you bring up the subject matter of Jesus Christ. He's not loved by everybody. But unless you're harsh and rude to somebody, then you've not done somebody damage. You just talk to them. And if they look at you and declaratively say, I don't want to talk about this at all, you just back off. Hey, that's fine. You'd be amazed what good that does. I've actually had people talk to me after, I don't want to talk about this. Hey, that's all right, man. You didn't invite me up or anything. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, not trying to.